Welcome to the Square Pick Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and today I've got a little bit, I'm trying something. We're not going 100% freestyle, but we're going almost freestyle. Uh, I surprised one of my guests a couple weeks ago when uh, we were preparing and I told him I was almost, I almost had the interview written all up. He said, wait a second, you have, it's scripted? It's not scripted, but I do write my questions out ahead of time because we shoot for a 45-minute episode uh, every time we record and that way I know I can kind of stay on, on track. I can get all the things in that I want to get in, and I can kind of time how things go. However, I did write a few notes today, but this is going to be easy. Because my guest, um, he's worked in broadcasting to some, some degree. Uh, I know that I, I interviewed my old producer, Lindsay. Uh, I've introduced, uh, in, interviewed my friend Hoser, who used to be on the air here, Hoser the Hitman, uh, and several other people who are professional talkers, as I call them. And my guest today, Miguel Gamboa Jr., or Mike Gamboa, as everybody knows him, uh, is somewhat of a local celebrity here in Las Cruces. I mean, it's one of those things, Mike, when, whenever I meet somebody from Lordsburg, I can rattle off about 15 names of people who are from Lordsburg, and they all, they all know each other. They know them all. Yeah. Right? And you're like that guy for Doniana and Cruces. <laughs> so my guest today is Mike Gamboa. Mike is a couple years older than me. I'll be 50 here pretty soon. I'm 52. Okay. And he's, I'm a pretty 52-year-old. He's a very pretty 52 years old. Although he asked me if he if he needed to shower before he came in because he was working outside all day. It's yeah. still pretty hot. Yeah. Um, but no, I think we're going to have a good time. Mike is one of the most gregarious and outgoing and bubbly guys uh, I think I've ever met. And the guy's got more hustles than I, you know. The only the only person I knew who's got more hustles is uh, Isidro Castillo, who's one of the, the boxing and MMA promoters here in New Mexico we yeah. work with a lot. Yeah, he's a, that, he's that, a hustler. That sure. guy b- promotes boxing and MMA. He has dog shows. He breeds dogs. He's He's got a pest control business, mm-hmm. a trucking business. He just started promoting comedy. And um, he's got, of course, his, his, his School of Hard Knocks boxing gym. I asked him one time, I was like, man, you got more hustles than almost anybody I know. He says, man, I got to work harder than an ugly stripper. Yeah, <laughs> and so you're in good company, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, so yeah. you're from Doniana. Yeah, well, the I, village of Doniana. We village. live in. Uh huh. Yeah, so, I, I was uh, my my grandfather had a farm. Or uh, well, we have a farm out there in Doniana, um, and he uh, he just recently passed away a couple of weeks ago. God rest his soul. Um, so shout out to my grandpa. But I pretty much um, I was you know born out there and and um, and lived out there on the farm with my grandpa so he pretty much raised me and and it we've trained horses all that's a lot of that's the thing people don't know about me is that um i trained most of my life trained horses most of my life with my grandpa when i was growing up and uh people are like really you've been on a horse i said more times than you know (laughs) i actually i had forgotten about that and that's the one one of the things uh and we'll get to this you know uh couple years ago when your cousin Dario passed, uncle. Your, your uncle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that, that's another thing. We're going to talk about how many damn family sure. members you got around yeah. here and what business you guys <laughs> have all been in. But um, I knew that he was a horseman, and, I, and, and, and we, you and I had talked about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I first moved to Las Cruces in 1999, I was working at the uh, University Police Department, and I got a call for uh i think that's when i first met you right like it might have been working at the animacy police department yeah and yeah. i mean we're talking 1999 yeah. and and uh, i get a call to go back up one of the Messia officers mm-hmm. on a traffic stop mm-hmm. right there at union and snow road mm-hmm. and i go and i pull around and i look i can see i pull behind the Messia unit and i can i i, I see this little tiny bald head <laughs> and this guy gets out and you know it's it was sad to see your dad was in the final stages yeah, uh, of his cancer. cancer. And and he's not it wasn't a tall guy. I know he was and what I didn't know at the time is he had been kind of stout, you know. Yeah, at, he'd at, been like a medium built um and yeah. and and he wasn't very tall. I'm probably 
a little bit taller than he was, as a matter of fact. But yeah. But he he got out in his uniform. He looked like a little. Honestly, he looked like a little kid playing dress up. It was so sad. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah. of course, I had seen pictures and. And I mean, his, his his Sam Brown, his gun belts hanging, hanging, hanging off of him, and his clothes are hanging off of him, and and I thought to myself, I was like, man, I, I don't even know how they can let somebody work, you yeah, know, in yeah. in this. But that's the my first, the first time I met your dad, and of course, he's a bit of a you know local legend in law enforcement. He yeah yeah he he stayed with it till the till the bitter end, you know, and then and then he uh, when he couldn't do it anymore, then he went into uh, caretaking towards the end there, but but not for long, and then. Then he finally just couldn't do anything after that. When did he finally die? When did he? Yeah. Uh, it was. I can't. I. I had it right on the tip of my tongue, but it, it was it remember. was a pancreatic cancer. Oh, what did he die of? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, well, he had a ki- uh, kidney transplant, and and it didn't take, and so his health, and then the cancer came back, the pancreatic cancer, and so it was a combination of things that that took him finally but uh, yeah that's i mean that was a shame i've heard a lot of stories about him of course a lot of the old timers there there is the only people the only person who's around now that i know who worked with him is bo yeah no and bo, bo's older yeah. than dirt and he you know if he would ever retire yeah. i'd be the senior detective of my department right yeah. but that son of a won't stay he won't he retire won't. and he, and I, I know he mentioned it a couple of times and made the announcements and i'm officially retiring and blah 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 and then i ran into him as a matter of fact um at the Hatch Chili Festival, because I mean that's another thing I was running this last weekend. Of course, another hustle, but right. Um, I ran into Bo and and uh, his wife, and and uh, I hadn't seen him in a while, but he just he always has something to say pertaining to my dad, and and it's just awesome to see him because he just says, you know, I really miss your dad every time I see him. You know, and, it's been and so I long. think he and I are both going to retire in a year because the you know with nobody wants to be a cop anymore, they're actually they're actually throwing money at us. I mean, the, we we just are, stay. Yeah. They passed that bill, the Senate Bill 68, last year, and those mm-hmm. of us who have more than 20 years, they're giving us 15 grand to stay on another year. Wow, wow um, that's good. And but, you deserve it. You deserve every, every penny of it. And, and once we, but the thing is, once we put that application in, they give us the 15 grand up front, we have to work another year. And they don't prorate. If you leave 11 months later, you've got to pay back the whole 15 oh. grand. So he's, he's going to stick around. I'm going to stick around. And I have a feeling there, there's another guy. I think there's going to be three of us who are all going to walk out the door next October. Uh, <laughs> you know, and honestly, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, and that's how. Being that my dad was a cop and I've always been involved in pretty much some sort of law enforcement, you know, uh, aspect. And it's just, it's crazy that, you know, that the way it's become now, you know, with the law enforcement, it just makes me sick, to be honest with you. But, well, it, it goes in cycles, but, you know, you mentioned the Hatch Chili Festival. And, yeah. you know, going back almost 10 years, 2014, you know, I'm a commissioner with the State Athletic Commission, and sure. I started with mm-hmm. them in 2014 as a deputy inspector. And the very first event I ever worked was um, – I can't th- I can't think of the name of the, the – um, uh, Edgar Delgado I uh, used to promote down here. And he was at the convention center, and you DJed that. And you were the first person I ran into when I walked in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. And so uh, – I remember like, that day, yeah. Yeah, and so how long have you been DJing? Uh, officially since 1986. I wasn't even – graduated from high school yet and, and you're uh, doing cassette tapes and no no i was actually djing at a bar here in las cruces when i was 16 years old that makes sense that yeah. makes total sense yeah. it was probably rainforest or something right no it was uh popcorns i don't did you ever I, that, that was place? before no that was in right down here on south main right yeah and it became cowboys after that it became cowboys uh simon's uh cj's like it had a bunch of names so yeah. that was before my time um yeah. i moved here in 99 when rodeo usa was a thing yeah yeah and that so, had kind of taken over so I, I DJ there from '86 to '89. I would do uh, Sunday nights for the kids, and then happy hours uh, on like Tuesdays and Thursdays. Now back then, yeah. are you working turntables? 
and mixing yeah, all and everything? straight vinyl. Milk okay. crates uh, full of vinyl and turntables. And, and it's weird how that's made a comeback. Yeah. Do you yeah. now? I think if I remember when I saw you that day, you had a MacBook, but it has that. It's not actual vinyl, but it's you. You have something to spin. Well, it. it it's actually vinyl, um, and it's and the, they're actually Technique turntables. Like the turntables are real, everything. The vinyl's real, but the vinyl is made different to where it's um, uh, calibrated with the program on your MacBook. So basically, all it changed was instead of me carrying fifteen, twenty crates, milk crates of uh, vinyl around, um, everything's getting transferred to the vinyl that's on that turntable at the time. It's it's the technology's awesome. So I I, I DJed from eighty six to eighty nine. Graduated in 89, went to the military um, and stayed there for four years. And when I got out, I came, uh, I, I was, uh, well, what do you want to call it? I wasn't a certi certified police officer yet uh, for the city of Clovis, but I was there uh, part-time with them, kind of like the reserve. And I was fixing to go to the academy and stuff like that. Then we moved to Albuquerque and uh, I said, okay, great. You know, I'll, I'll try out for uh, APD and the whole whole reason I went into the military was to be a cop and I was just too young to be a cop um, so I said I'll go in I'll get my four years experience in law enforcement um, and then I'll get out uh, and I'll come to LCPD and I'll go to the academy there and then there, there you go that's what I wanted to do so uh, long story short we moved to uh, I stayed to Clovis when I got out of the mil uh, military because I was stationed at Cannon Air Force Base. Okay, uh, so you, I was, that was going to be my question. You were in the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. And That's so, reason, there's no reason anybody goes to Clovis except they get exactly, stationed there, right? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, every time, like, new people would get stationed there, uh, they would come in and like, man, it smells like, you know, you know, it smells bad out here and it smells like manure and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what you're smelling, right? And they're like, what? And I said, money. That's money. That's all money right there. That, that's what people say. You know, the funny thing about Clovis is, I mean, I moved to New Mexico in 98, moved to, to Cruces in 99, and mm -hmm. I actually, the first time I was in Clovis is probably 2015, 2016, is for an athletic commission job. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a, a promoter out there, Eric Swan, uh, has Force of One Martial Arts mm -hmm. Academy, and he, he runs one show a year, and that, that's the first time I'd ever been there. But when you were, so you were DJing back then, I, I kind of want to get back to the DJing thing because you got a million hustles we're going to talk about. But oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't get back into DJing until I actually came back um, to Cruces after I moved from Albuquerque. Um, and so it was about 97, I guess it was, because I got out in 93. So it was 97. And um, some of my buddies, I, I, I'd gone out to the bars and I was checking out how the DJs were doing it now. I kind of like dropped it while I was in the military. But then I saw how they were doing it now and and immediately i just jumped back into it and just started just hustling i bought all the equipment and, and went after it and see i had last year i believe i interviewed a high school friend of mine saeed yunan who's a world he's actually known all over the world he's a you know house dj producer and things like that and nice. we, we talked a lot about you know he produces and he creates music mm -hmm. i mean i know you don't do that but yeah it's you're playing whatever's popular how do you decide your your set list i mean i obviously if you're playing Whiskey Dicks, mm -hmm. there's going to be more heavy country. If you're playing, we actually a have quince, a contract for Whiskey Dicks. So yeah, they see that. I'm not surprised, right? <laughs> if you're playing a quince, there's going to be you know a different type of music. Yeah. So let's just say you're playing. I don't know. You're playing Hatch Chili Festival. Yeah. So uh, I can answer that quickly and with a couple words. You read your crowd. That's the bottom line. Um, and you got to be ready to play any genre. Any good DJ. Um, will read their crowd. That's the bottom line. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, uh, these uh, guys and girls that call themselves DJs, they're, they're really not by definition a DJ. 
Because a DJ takes requests and a DJ changes up their music and their genres according to their crowd. They read their crowd. And these guys come in with this rock star wannabe superstar DJ, hey, look at me. And they have these preset, you know, pre playlists and stuff like that. And I just, it, that's not, in my opinion, and as long as I've been doing it, that's not a DJ. That's just a guy who goes up there and plays some music and says, hey, look at me. And they don't, they don't really read their crowd. You know, I, I think I've talked with other, I may have talked with, with Saeed about this. I may even talked, I interviewed Frank Ray, you know, the country mm -hmm. star, Frank, you know, who was yeah, LC, LCPD here. Yeah. And we talked about how, you know, my oldest sister turned me on to Pandora back in about 2011. And the great thing about Pandora is, I've actually, you can pick a type of an artist that you like and it'll play other artists, you know, who play similar music. Yeah, yeah. And for somebody like me who has, al I've always been a pretty, had a pretty eclectic taste in music. Um, I also like a lot of music that's not, you know, air quotes commercial, like blues, um, yeah. you know, uh, roots rock and, and just the singer songwriter type stuff. So mm -hmm. I've discovered a lot of great artists that I never would have discovered otherwise um, because of Pandora. The, the sure. downside of that is you've kind of stay within the things that you know. And where I'm leading with this is we're about that same age. And, and I know mm -hmm. you like all the different types of music kind of like I do, mm -hmm. but I, I legit was like Friday years old last Friday, the yeah. first time I ever listened to uh, post Malone. Yeah. Because I'm just not, I'm an old school hip hop guy. Of course. Yeah. You know, I listen, mm -hmm. started in the eighties. I, I have a long love hate relationship with that genre. Sure. Uh, I didn't listen to any of the R and B of the nineties or really, I just started listening to nineties R and B a couple years ago. And and what what do you think about it? Just oh, I love I love all yeah. the new jack swing. I love all yeah. that stuff. I lo I've got a Tony 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 Pandora station. <laughs> Badass, yeah. But my point is like, I don't listen to what the kids are listening to. I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, I know who Post Malone is because he's everywhere. Yeah. So how do you, a guy your age, what do you do to make sure you know what the young say? I say young kids, people in their teens or twenties are listening to the trap music and the yeah yeah. How do you stay on top of that? Well, honestly, um. I, it goes back to taking requests, taking okay. requests, you know, on um, that. And then um, I don't I don't listen to the radio. I, I, I really don't. I listen to what I want to listen to off of Spotify when I'm in my truck or wherever I'm at. Um, so it's I don't I don't uh, gain the knowledge of younger kids music, you know, by listening to the radio. It's all about taking requests. And then just uh, even when I go out to these bars, like uh, just to go check it out, like a bar in El Paso or something like that. Um, and, you know possibly trying to get the contract for that bar or something like that you know i'm, I'm watching what these kids are wanting and I'm, I'm 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 listening to what these kids are wanting based on what the dj's playing that night and stuff like that but um i love to keep my mind open i i will tell you this i don't like today's music i don't like it at all i i, I think it's just trash i mean it's really trash and the mentality of the younger generation now is that they um something that came out today and that's a hit It'll be a hit for a week. And if you go play it next week in a bar or something like that, it's old to them. Like it, It's like these this younger generation can't get enough of entirely new stuff. They don't, they don't like if it's a week old or a month old or, or three months old. And so you're constantly trying to um, play the newest stuff. And this is in a bar and stuff like that, you know, or clubs, things like that. Um, but, but if you, you know, uh, private gigs are a lot easier i should say because you walk into you know like say a king's private a much more homogenous crowd yeah yeah i mean you do, I, like i can go in i i've gotten it down to because i've been doing it so many years that i can just walk into a crowd and see what all right i, I mean i already know pretty much what i'm going to play and um again i i encourage requests um it doesn't mean i'll play them all but yeah. i encourage them 
you know, because I want to know what, what they're thinking and what, what their mindset is when it comes to music for the, especially like you said, for the younger generation. Now the older generation, I mean, I got that down. I could do it in my sleep, you know? And, yeah. And you know, what's funny, especially being around here, you don't see too much of it is something very interesting. I've always enjoyed, I was explaining to somebody recently, I've always enjoyed uh, reading up on things like cultural anthropology, for example. Mm-hmm. And around here, there's, you know, you have a subset of, of the Hispanic Mexican American population here, the Chicano mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. where there are certain things that are just particular to them. I mean, something as particular as what kind of facial hair you wear. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed about with. Edgar's and stuff. <laughs> no, not Edgar. I'm talking about like the goatee and, oh, and yeah. why, why the wife beater undershirt and, and you yeah. know, things like that. But one thing I've noticed, I used to follow a guy called Beer Run Bobby. Yeah. I you know, follow that and it's too. like. Chicanos like old school music and like doo-wop on Sundays. Yeah. It's it's that specific. You but know, you know so- to me, like Beer Run Bobby and like some other ones that are kind of like in uh, the Chicano, like you're saying, um, that's more to me, that's more in the like California right. area, that, that kind of stuff. Here, it's not so um, big. It's more of, um, well, honestly, it's just more of. Uh, this it, it pertains to the way people act is specific to this area to new mexico yeah to new mexico and and then but but then the state is divided like so crazy when it comes to mexican culture you could be the same race but the mexicans up north act well they're totally more different they're better they're better because yeah. they're lighter skinned and they're more have more well, spanish blood well, that's, they okay, think they're that, better I mean. that's past albuquerque Right. Um, that's Once Santa Fe, Taos, you right. know, all that yeah you're absolutely right 100% right and and they don't even like it when you call them mexican they thought we're Spanish. No, and Hoser, Hoser will always call him Pichi Norteños. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. how he talks about and, him. But. And he, he's like, well, they say we're Hispanic. Yeah. Okay. And like George Lopez says, where is this island or continent Hispania? Where, where is that at? There's no, it's not Hispanic. You're Mexican. You're Spanish, you know. And so then, then you come back down to Albuquerque area. And Albuquerque is just its own total breed altogether. Their their language, uh, their their accents, all that kind of stuff. Then you come down a little bit more, and you're in Socorro, and now that's back to more of the old school Mexican Chicanoish kind of area. And then of course you got Tercy, predominantly white. And then all of a sudden you get to Hatch. Hatch is like Southern Mexico, you know, like because of all the field workers, you know, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then you finally get to Cruces, and Cruces, I I you know I like to label us more of like that title mexican american you know because they're more american than they are mexican yeah you know, and, and you that's know, just the way it, i want to change i do want to change gears here and, mm-hmm. and you know as yeah. you know the square peg podcast we talk about mold breakers trailblazers and takers of roads less traveled sure. and you know i like to have people on here you know some people are more unique than others some people are just totally out there mm-hmm. they've got 18 different intersections of why they're different <laughs> yeah. um you know some like i said some of my guests i have to try a little bit harder to get them to kind of fit fit the the show but mm-hmm. i want to touch on your family business of of bail bonds oh yeah because okay. i think that that's something that the average person unless you worked in bail bonds or unless you um have uh, been in law enforcement people's really their only exposure to that kind of business is is tv and movies and you know of course now everybody's seen dog yeah. the bounty hunter and yeah. and we'll we'll talk about that yeah. but in, in the 25 years I've been here in New Mexico, 24 in Las Cruces, and, mm-hmm. and been in law enforcement that whole time, I, I, I shit you not, I think the only bail bondsman that is not related to you that I know of is Chris Frost. And I don't, I don't even know if actually bail bond, I don't know if he's, you know, yeah. we, we'll talk about yeah. how there's pretty much no more bail. It's, it's almost there's, a, there's it's a dead industry yeah. Yeah. Uh, here in New Mexico. Unfortunately. Yeah. Talk about how you got into working in the bail bonds industry and, and all the different family members, Lupita, Dario, Moose, mm-hmm. you, who else? My grandfather's the one that started it all. So yeah. th- talk about yeah. that. Tell us so, about it. 
So basically, when I came back from Albuquerque I, and, and came down to uh, go to the academy for LCPD, um, I, I'll never forget this. So Todd Garrison was was one of uh, the uh, recruit um, officers there uh, for the the testing of it um, before you you know you even get into the academy. So I came down, and and back then it was ninety um, ninety seven, and um, I had. Uh, applied and then I went and took the written scored top five in the written and my psyche valve believe it or not was was awesome I passed that you know and and so we got to the physical and I kind of let myself get out of shape when I got out of the military because I was getting lazy so I came down um, and, and applied I missed the sit-ups by two sit-ups and it was oh, and it was Todd and and I said so uh, what do I do Did I come back tomorrow and at that time there was an academy at once a year that was it you know and so uh, he said, "I'm sorry, Mike. You got you got to come back next year and try again." I said, "Are you kidding me?" So, so that's what I, you know, I went home, was kind of upset at myself, and I was and, and went back to the farm. And my grandpa said, "How'd you do?" And I told him, and and so I said, "Hey, Grandpa, do you mind if I, you know, my grandpa had been a bail bondsman since the industry pretty much started. Um, he was working out at White Sands, but he was still a bail bondsman part time. And so I asked him, I said, you know, do you think I could just bail bond with you you know for a year and then when the academy comes back up you know i'll go to school and then when the academy comes back up i'll i'll, I'll try out again and he said yeah he says i was waiting for you to ask and i said well why don't you tell me this before i went to the military you know so and i always he wanted me to go to the military so i did anyhow so i became a bail bondsman in 97 and um i never looked back and 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 then so it was my grandfather first, and then it was my uncle, Randy Moose Gomez. He owned uh, Moose Bell Bonds. <clears throat> and then it was me. And then uh, my grandfather asked, um, or my, my aunt moved back from Midland, which is Lupita. And she moved back from Midland, and uh, she asked my grandpa if she could bail bond. And so my grandpa told me, all right, you got to train her, get her, get her the test done, and, and, and get her through it, get her license. I said, okay, cool. And so me and my uncle did that for her. And then my uh, my uncle Dario moved from Utah. He came back down. He was in Utah for a long, long time doing a, a lot of uh, custom log works and furniture and stuff like that. So he did a yeah. I think that hustle thing, by the way, has just been in our family. That's your just, it's a family thing. Yeah, we just man, we just hustle. So uh, he asked me to to uh, train him, and I said absolutely not. And uh, yeah, you guys you guys had a rough relationship, huh? We did, and I and I to this day I love him, but uh, you know I just couldn't stand him. Sometimes I mean, we talked about that when he yeah died. yeah, and so I told him absolutely not, and and it wasn't because we were having any kind of complications personally or anything like that. I just didn't think he was a, a fit for the bail bond industry, um, just because of his lifestyle and what the way he did, you know, things. And so my grandpa said, "I'm asking you, train him for me." and get him licensed and I said well I'm only doing I'm doing it out of protest but uh, you know but I you know my grandpa was the hierarchy you know he, he says something you do it yeah you know? and so um so I trained him and I'll never forget I, I can even tell you a story about one of the recoveries we did because I, I, really, I want to get it I, d I definitely want to get into that but yeah. so just for my listeners uh when when somebody gets arrested uh, I think it's got to be this way in almost every state um, you have whether there's a bond schedule like we had in New Mexico before mm -hmm. bond reform yep. passed a couple of years ago, Ugh. and somebody can either pay the cash bail to mm -hmm. get you out, or you hire a bail bondsman and pay them ten percent, mm -hmm. which is non-refundable. Mm -hmm. That's your fee as Correct. a bail bondsman, yep. and you put up the rest. Yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, if your bond's ten thousand dollars for I don't care possession of cocaine, 
And it works two ways because um, you do have to qualify. Not any bail bonds will just get you out because, you know, oh, I have the $1,000, which is the 10%. Well, it doesn't work that way all the time because we're basically putting up the $10,000 to guarantee your appearance in court. And so we're basically an extension of the jail. So once we get you out, you do answer to us and we will check on you and we, you know, we will uh, call you and, and it's the same conditions of release. You can't go to bars. You can't break the law, blah, blah, blah. So, um, say for instance, you, you, you weren't, you weren't in law enforcement and you called me from the jail and I've known you forever. And you said, Mike, I just got popped for possession of cocaine. I had a little bit of cocaine in my pocket. I want to choose your bond, uh, $10,000. Okay. I know you, I know you got a great job and I've known you forever. Okay. Well, I'll take that $10,000 chance. And I know you have the thousand bucks at home. So we're going to, I'm going to go get you out and we're going to take care of it. But you are going to go to court because if not, I'm going to hunt you down. On the other hand, I don't know you from Adam. You call me and Hey, my bond's $10,000. You work at Walmart and it's part time, you know, 12 hours a week or something like that. And, and you really, you're, you're jumping over house to house to house living with family members. Well, I'm going to ask for collateral on that because I'm putting up $10,000 for you, basically. And so, and I guess it's, and you know, people are like, well, it's not 10000 cash. It's the form of a surety. Well, it, uh, guess who the judge has to pay that? Uh, me. If you don't so, yeah, I up. want to get with, so that the, yeah. some, you got a $10,000 bond. Some guy comes to you, gives you the 1000 bucks. You've got to put up the other nine. We put up the full 10. Okay. But it's okay. So what, you're, what are you putting up? You're putting up a, a bond, actually, a promissory it's called, note. It's a, it, it's a surety bond. It's, a, it's, it's called a surety bond. And you're backed by an insurance company, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's what's the glory of it. You know, we have a, a line, what's a, called a line of credit from this um, surety company. Um, and so, um, and it could be $2 million. I mean, it's just $5 million. Like my grandpa's was unlimited. He could post bonds till, you know, he was blue in the face. So it just, you have to build that relationship with that surety company. So uh, unfortunately for us, my grandpa had already built it with that. So we were, we were really... Um, blessed in that sense, you know, where we could just write bonds freely. And, and as long as we were responsible, we didn't have skips, you know, but the cool thing about it was that I got, I, I, in the bond, bail bond industry and in the whole country, as a matter of fact, um, I got known to be the fugitive recovery agent in the Southwest. So I would get calls from St. Louis, from New York, from Florida, from Texas. I remember you going to St. Louis a lot. Yeah, man, everywhere. And it, and it's awesome. So basically they, they call me and they say, hey, Mike, we got to fugitive in new mexico um you know we need you to get him and so that's a whole different uh charging uh, fee system and all that kind of stuff because then i dealing i'm dealing directly with the bail bonds and not with the courts um so that's a whole different you know issue now, i, I want to get back though so you you're putting up this uh, surety oh okay yeah and let's say how does some how would you default how would somebody default okay so somebody doesn't show up for a certain amount of time and the judge says i'm i'm canceling the bond yeah okay so that's no, well they don't cancel they forfeit the bond. forfeit it. yeah so basically um say this guy i get him out of jail and he seems solid and i didn't take you know collateral on him and it was for ten thousand dollars and and uh he paid me a thousand dollars to to post that ten thousand dollars well he gets it i get him out of jail and he, he takes off he runs like he he just leaves town and so we have uh, what's called, well, first he, he get the failure to appear gets issued. And then there's a uh, uh, forfeiture notice, um, a notice of hearing that the bail bondsman gets. And so we have to appear in court. And the first thing the judge asks ask us is, uh, all right, Mr. Gamboa, where's your client? And you either got him sitting there with you in cuffs or you have him in the jail in cuffs or you don't know where he's at. And so... 
fortunately, the court system works with us most of the time. And, Your Honor, I have no idea where he's at. Um, however, um, I am looking for him, and I'm asking for an extension at this time. Give me 45 days to find him. And usually within those 45 days, if you find him and you bring him back to jail and actually physically book him back into the jail and then you uh, submit your paperwork, um, the judge is not going to forfeit the bond. Um, and, and so you're not going to lose your $10,000, but you've lost all this time and money looking for this guy. So that $1,000 that you made is now you're in the hole. Now, let's know? say you do forfeit. Mm-hmm. You contact your surety company. Well, and, and we have what's called a build-up fund, though. Um, so every month... Um, when you do your reports to the surety company, you um, you deposit into your buildup fund X a percentage like of a what trust. you make every month, and that's what goes. So, if so you then forfeit. That's when the judge says, "Yeah." When the judge says, uh, "You know what? I'm ordering you to pay this. Uh, we're forfeiting this bond, and I'm ordering you to pay it, Mr. Gamboa." The only question I have left is it cash or check, <laughs> and who do I make it? No, no I, I actually, I, I, I literally didn't know that. I thought it was almost like you have an insurance, like you, like your homeowner's insurance. You pay for the homeowner's insurance. Oh shit, I need a new roof because there was a hailstorm or something. Yeah, and they pay the money out, but it may affect your rate. Yeah, no, no. So mm-hmm. what's the point of no, so, so if you're putting into this build-up fund, what, what's the point of having a surety company backing you? Uh, because you don't have a lot of money in your, and well, in the beginning you don't have a lot of money in your build-up fund, and there are there were bondsmen that um. um would go off on their own and not have a surety company and you, and you're by law you're you're more than able to do that and so what you do is you uh, at that time you go with uh, some type of bank and they give you a, a letter or a, a letter of credit and say so say I wanted a letter of credit of fifty thousand dollars I well I take my fifty thousand dollars and and I take it to the bank and I say okay I need a letter of credit for the district court or for the magistrate court or for municipal court or all three courts um, because I'm going to be writing bonds against that. And so the courts will accept that, but they will stay on top of that. So if you're getting close to your limit, they're going to let you know. And at times they'll even tell you, okay, you can't bond anymore until you clear these bonds. And uh, once these cases are closed, then your limit goes. So, so the, the bank note or the, the surety company is in case the odd situation where you do forfeit and you don't have enough to build up fund, they're, they're there to, yeah. they're to cover it. And how do they make their money? Uh, we pay them a percent, like the surety company. We okay. pay them, a, and it's a very. It, it got to the point where it's a very small percentage. So, um, you know, people had this uh, misconception of of bail bonds as oh, they've got all this jewelry and they got tons of money and they, and they're just you know they're making all this money. They're filthy rich, and that's that just wasn't the case. And and that's how the bail reform thing came along, because the courts were actually saying, well, all these bail bondsmen are making money hand over fist on these people and why are, why can't we make the money on it and and we basically as a bail bond coalition for the state of new mexico told them well it's very simple why you can't make money on them it's because there's a statute in the state of new mexico that says that the court cannot uh set bail to enrich the court and they said well we're not doing that um we're, we're just not gonna we're, we're gonna make everybody pay 10 percent to the court um or release them on OR, but we're on the 10% to the court, we're going to give them their money back, so we're not going to make you money on it. And what they don't tell you is that if you post that $10,000, uh, $1,000 because of your $10,000 bond, right? And they say, well, we'll give your money back when the case is closed. Don't worry, that $1,000. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get my money back, so why use a bail bondsman? And then little do they tell you is they go, okay, Mr. So-and-so, um, so you're found guilty, and um, we're gonna, here, here's your $1,000 back. Oh, but wait. You owe fines to the court. Fine is they take such the- and such, and your court costs are such. So not not only are we going to keep your thousand dollars, but you still owe us fifteen more hundred dollars. How would you like to yeah. pay that? 
And yeah. would you like to pay that in payments of $25 a month? Yeah. No, you know, I've, I've so, been in court many times. Yeah. I want to ask you, of all the bonds you've posted, probably thousands of them, how many, how many have forfeited? Um, I have had, in, see, I started 1997 and I was done in 14, I think it was. I did 21 years in the bail bond business. Before that bail reform finally came across. The only one that sticks out that I actually had to pay that I've never actually, to this day, I wish I could catch is 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 one, and it was a it was a fifty thousand dollar bond, and I paid. Uh, the judge was gracious enough after uh, sick giving me six months to look for this guy because I kept asking for extensions because I was close. Um, he reduced it to twenty five thousand dollars. So uh, again, the surety company is not there to pay that twenty five thousand dollars or. It comes out of my pocket, physically out of my pocket, out of my build-up fund that I've been building up for years and years and years. So I actually gave the court $25,000. But, I mean, I can remember a couple small ones in municipal court. And then once I caught them, um, see, that was the cool thing is I could have paid that $25,000 and still caught the guy and then went back to court for and done a motion to reconsider the forfeiture. And I probably would have got my $25,000 back. But to this day, I, I, I... I still don't know where he's at. I, I heard that he's dead. I heard that <laughs> now, he's dead. If it, now, before we get to the, I do want to talk about bail reform. Let's talk about, um, now you, you worked, you, you had your own bail bonds company, but you also worked as a bounty hunter. Yes. Or a mm-hmm. fugitive recovery agent or a skip yeah. tracer, as they call it. Some, There's some people, a lot of titles. A lot of different it, yeah. terms. You worked for other people. Um, I, I would imagine you were, you went out to catch your own skips too, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, we all know, I, I'm, I'm watching a show with my 13-year-old, my um, called the rookie, and it's about there's a class of cadets from LAPD that get out. And oh, I love that show. Yeah, I know what you're and about, and yeah. and you know, I learned this. It, it doesn't matter what field you're in. If there's a TV show about it, it's hard to watch because it's just so damn inaccurate. Oh right? God, yeah. <laughs> and so I learned this with you know years and years ago. My wife and I would watch Blue Bloods. Oh, which yeah. I had to get over the first episode or two. She gets very annoyed when I would point out all the things that are stupid yeah. and inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we actually watched that show because it was such good drama. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wife, think that's why we always watch them, even though we know they're incorrect. But but we watch it for the but, drama. But my wife has said, "Look, you can't. You 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 need this experience watching the show with your daughter. You can't. And, and it's it's horrible. But have you seen Dog the Bounty Hunter? Yeah. <laughs> now that's technically it's. I mean, it's a reality show. But yeah. um, how how different or how well does it represent the bounty hunting profession? Uh, and, and I'm not asking it's you to not, comment on how good he is or anything like no, that. No, no, no. I, and I know you're asking me about the show itself. And, 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 and as far as the show itself, it's, it is actually 100% entertainment, in my opinion. It, it, it's, it's, can I say bullshit? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah just, just, we just don't say the F word. Yeah, okay, great. Um, it just, it, it's just, it's for TV. Right. It was 100% for TV. Um, and I had the chance, I had the opportunity to meet Dog the Bounty Hunter, and I also met Bobby Brown in Colorado. I mean, I, I know all those guys as far as uh, having um, interactions with them on, on actual cases. Um, yeah. So so I've had the opportunity to deal with them, and it's not, it was, it was before the shows and all that kind of stuff, you know, that I knew them. And um, it just, it's it's pure entertainment, pure entertainment. That's what that is. And it, it's inaccurate. Like you said, you, there's some things in there that I'm just like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And you, so when you post a bond for somebody, and like I, you know, as a detective going on 14 years now, bail bondsmen are some of my best resources. If I'm Absolutely. looking for somebody, yeah. um, somebody who may not, I may have a warrant for them, or I just may be trying to find them to interview them for the case. Yeah. Bail bondsmen are probably, because they got to check in with you once a week. Oh, yeah. 
when you when they apply with you, they've got to list everybody they've ever known, yeah, every relative they've ever had. I mean, because you you know you want to know where to find them if if, if they default, or exactly. you don't want to you know forfeit your bond. Mm-hmm. Um, so you collect all this information, um, and then you you go out and find them, right? I mean, yeah. What are some of your craziest like? And and this is another thing, and I, I kind of was looking up this up earlier today because. Um, there are actually no laws in New Mexico that regulate bounty hunters. Correct. Yeah. You have to take a test and get certified as a bail bondsman. And the only regulation is that you work for a bail bondsman. No, and you could even, literally carry. Then it wasn't even that. And you yeah. could literally carry as long as you are not otherwise prohibited, prohibited from owning and carrying firearms. You can carry firearms. You can carry less lethal. Yeah. Uh, you can outfit yourself however you want to there look was like no a cop. Regulation. Yeah. You can literally bind and gag somebody and throw them in the trunk of your car. <laughs> and... You can kick doors in, beat the shit out of people. Like, why are you telling all our secrets, man? No. <laughs> and I've, I, well, I've, I've been to the jail. I've, bu- yeah. I've, I've pulled up yeah. to the jail and booked book drunk drivers. And there's Mike Gamboa standing there with a skip. He caught my guy. Yeah. So, um, what are the some of the what's some of the craziest shit you've run into? Um, you know, before I answer that question, I will say, in in all the 21 years that I did, um, fugitive recovery, bail bonding, bounty hunting, blah blah blah, that you know, whatever they want to call it at the time, um. I want to say 95% of the time, I never had to draw my weapon. I never had to use a taser. I never had to fight with the guy. Um, I want to say 90%, not 95. But I mean, it was never about my best. West, my best weapon was my tongue, my brain. You know, the way I talked to him. And so. And that's no different than being a cop. Yeah, and and and, and it comes with that. Yeah, that's. I mean, you got it. It's it's easier to talk to somebody than to actually have to fight them, have to shoot them, have to tase them, and all that kind of stuff. So, But having said that, I have had uh, a, quite a few instances where, you know, they, they, they look at us like, um, well, they're not cops, so screw them. You know, we're going to fight till we, we get down. And it's a private contract yeah. is what it is. Yeah, and exactly right, 100%. So having that in my mind, I, I would always have um, – I had four guys that I trusted with my life, and, and they were – at least two of them with me at all times whenever we'd go uh, do a fugitive recovery or a skip or, or skip chase or whatever. And so, you know, safety was the biggest thing for both me and my team and for the fugitive because ultimately I don't want to fill out paperwork and I don't want to get sued and I don't want to go to jail. So uh, I, I'll never forget one, one, the one time. And there was one time with me and my Uncle Dario, and so we, I'll tell you that story, and, and you're gonna freak out on that. One. That was so fun. I mean, at the time it was it wasn't fun. It was it was it was scary and it was crazy. But um, he had just been in the business like maybe a, a couple months, I guess, and he was getting out everybody. And I kept telling him, "Be careful who you get out. Be careful who you get out. Interview them. Do what you got to do." And I got this. I know what I'm doing. I said, "Okay," because you know, and you knew my Uncle Dario. He was one ornery, mean you know, SOB and took no uh, shit from anybody. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, he just, he is, he was who he was. And, um, so he called me one day. He said, I need to go pick somebody up. And, uh, he didn't go to court. Can you go help? Or you need to go help me. He never asked. He, he'd always just demand. So, uh, what's that road off of Elks? Uh, Holly. Is that where the trailer park is in the back off of yeah. Holly? Yeah. So I'll never forget that. Um, we went and we were in that big old, black truck of his that that he had that had Dario Gomez bail bonds on the side of it. So we went to a trailer in that trailer park, first one on the left, uh, the first entrance on the left. And um, of course, you know, I have a vest on, I have, I'm geared up, I have my taser, I have my weapon, I have my pistol, I have all this stuff, but it's more for a show of force, always that way. And so he has nothing 
but paperwork in his hand, right? And he he knocks on this trailer door, and he pushes the door open, which I mean, like you said earlier, we don't need a warrant. To go and there's the, and you're not you're not the, the Constitution doesn't come into play because you're not you're not you're not a law enforcement officer. There's no search and seizure. You can kick the sh- kick any doors down. Do you do what you yeah, need to do, right? Yeah, but I mean, I always told him expect be ready for the consequences of doing that you know but uh first and foremost i always told them don't ever go inside a house don't let's let's wait and see till they come out you know i want I, that's the best way so i would sit at houses like 14 15 hours waiting for the uh, knowing that he's in there but it's easier for me to wait till he comes outside of the domain you know and that and then i can catch him out on the street so having said that i always told him that and so i said you know what are we going to do here he says well i'm just going to knock and ask if he's there well when he knocked he opened the door and he went right in. So I went in right behind him. And I sw- uh, I'll never forget the look on. There was probably nine, ten guys sitting on couch in the living room right there. And they all jumped up with these like wide eyes. And and people started pulling guns. So I'm pulling my weapon. And I shut the door behind me because I didn't want nobody else to come in with us. We had some little other dude that he had called that I didn't want. And. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Everybody's like, you know, just cussing up a storm, cussing up, and Dario's yelling at him, and, and we're going back and forth, and I grab Dario by his collar, and I pull, I open the door, and I pull him out as I'm still got my weapon drawn, and I throw him down the stairs, and I shut the door behind me. I'm like, everybody, take it easy, man. Take, and I swear to God, they're all, what's up, Mike? What's up, man? What's all this crap about? And I start recognizing that I've gotten some of these guys out of jail. Fortunately for me and him, I treated them with respect and I treated them well when I, they were on my bond. So everybody calmed down and put their weapons away. And I said, we're just here for this person. And so they picked up the papers off the floor for me. And they're like, bro, who's, the, who's that dude? And this and that. And I was like, well, that's Dario Gomez. They said, we heard of that fool. And this and, that. and they, were, they were mad at him, right? And he's trying to get in, but I locked the door. So long story short, they end up pulling the guy out of the back of the room and said, hey, you need to go with Mike. Because you didn't go to court, fool. And so I ended up putting him in cuffs and taking him back out to to the to the vehicle. So when we got out to the vehicle, last part of this, I get in the passenger side after I put the guy in the back seat. I look over at Dar and I just straight punch him right in his jaw. And I said, don't you ever do that again, bro. And so he was mad at me forever about that. But he understood it as, as time went on. Learning, you know? learning experience. Now, this but, is, I mean, that could have got us killed. One know? thing that you see on TV that I know is not true is like, say you show up. And we show up, law enforcement shows up, we're not going to fight over who, as long as the guy gets booked in jail, it doesn't matter who takes him, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's the cool thing. is that- the, the other thing is this. You pick somebody up out of state. Mm-hmm. Do you bring him, say you, you go, you, you catch somebody in El Paso right across the state line. Are you yeah. going to bring him back yourself or can you, well, well let, let's say it's St. Louis <laughs> and you don't want to drive however long it takes to get from St. Louis to Las Cruces with them stinky convict in your car. So he yeah. smells or whatever. Yeah. You can book him in a local jail there, and then the extradition process is going to happen, right? You're still good on, on your bond. If the warrant is extraditable. Right, right, of course. Yeah. If it is, then we can book him here, and then I don't have to transport him back. Okay, to I got Salem. you. But that one that I was telling you about, that St. Louis one, um, we had to transport him back all the way over there. And, and the guy was just cussing up a storm, and, I mean, he's just totally just off the wall. By the time we got him there... I was his best friend and the guys that I had with me, we were his best friends. And, and even to this day, the guy still 
texts me every once in a while. And he's like, "Hey, I'm just checking in. I want you to." And know that I'm doesn't, doing but that good. doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's your personality, and I'm so a little cool. bit like that too. Yeah. But I think you take it to another level. Yeah. But um, yeah, of course. You know, the other the other thing is, um, you know, one of my favorite movies that got a lot of rotation on on HBO in the '90s was Midnight Run, with oh, yeah, Robert yeah. De Niro oh, and yeah. um, oh, I can't think of his name. I love that movie. Yeah. And uh, and I, I know there was a lot of BS in there, but there let's let's talk real quick before we wrap up. You know, bond reform. Uh, I think we're in our third or fourth year. Yeah, our fourth year. Uh, up until you know, up until a couple of years ago, there were there was a bond schedule, and in New Mexico, there are what six levels? There's petty misdemeanor, misdemeanor, and then there's four mm-hmm. levels of felonies. Mm-hmm. And for each charge, there was there would there be a certain bond for each petty misdemeanor count, every misdemeanor count, fourth degree felony, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and that even that schedule was kind of screwed up. Uh, but it was at least better than what we had before when they were just randomly setting bonds. And, well, and, and so the thing is, like, what that doesn't take into account is yeah, the two things that are addressed now at pretrial, determin- pretrial detention hearings is, what, is this guy a threat to the community and is there a flight risk right. in that order? And they're decided That's why I in that it was order. A screwed up schedule. But I mean, the, the problem I had with the old bond schedule, and I just, got, I just was just talking to somebody about this on a Facebook post, mm-hmm. is that the, the old bond schedule criminalized poverty. Because if you and I are accused of and are charged and booked on the same exact crime, mm-hmm. say it's a violent crime, mm-hmm. but your family's got money and can post up and get you out and mine can't, that doesn't make you any less of a threat to society just because your family had money. True. And what we had was we had people getting booked on things like, and, and not to say that I mean, DWI is a very serious crime, yeah. you take a misdemeanor DWI or someone's got traffic warrants or you know a shoplifting or something mm-hmm. like that, a petty misdemeanor shoplifting, mm-hmm. you know, $90 worth of stuff. But they were poor and nobody could post bond for them. They could sit in jail for six months um, until they until they have a until they go to until if they plead not guilty, they can be held, you know, until they until they go to court. Mm. And so uh, in some regards, I think that the bond reform was needed. However, now it's it's kind of swung the other way. The funny thing is the state, you know, both sides, the state and the defense always had the ability to argue for a different bond at mm. arraignment. Yeah. Say you had a bond schedule and your bond was ten thousand dollars. The, the state, if they felt you were really dangerous, they could always argue for a higher bond higher, yeah. or tougher conditions of release or for no bond. And the defense could do just the opposite, yeah. which is what they do now. And, and and so now, well, they did it back then too. Even before the bail schedule, um, I would always go to the hearings, the 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 arraignments. I'm sorry, um, I'd be in district court on Monday morning watching arraignments, and and they were doing it even before the bail schedule, um, and then. Somewhat during the bail schedule, but not as much because they weren't allowed to, you know, they were just setting the bonds right away without arbitrarily. Yeah. And so, um, but this is my thing with that, though. Um, And I know I might sound cold hearted or or something like that, but I I, I take it as I I go back even further because, you know, you say, well, it was criminalizing uh, poverty. Well, I, I get guess what? If you if you didn't do the crime in the first place, you wouldn't be there. Well, you know, and, and then my, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go back and play devil's advocate. Yeah. You know, we we have this thing called innocent until proven guilty, and the only well, the true. standard well, the but, standard for charging somebody with a crime of booking them is probable cause. True. Which on the scale of zero to one hundred, we're always taught is fifty point one percent. Do you really believe our, the founders of our country and the people who wrote our constitution wanted people held pretrial indefinitely? You know, until you have a trial oh, six months true. a year, yeah. when all you have is fifty point one percent proof that they commit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now nowadays, there's no. If you get arrested, they do in jail arraignments every day at one o'clock. If you yeah. get arrested at two o'clock in the afternoon, your ass is sitting in jail for twenty three hours. Exactly. Because um, yeah. there isn't no, nobody can come post your bond. You have to wait till you see the judge. Yeah, you have and no it's at bond that until point. they see the judge. And so, if, you know, what what'll happen is if I arrest somebody who's a what we call a frequent flyer 
mm-hmm. uh, or who's, you know, say I, I charge somebody with murder or something really sure. serious crime, yeah. um, the DA's office will immediately will will take a copy of our statement of facts and, and copy it over to an affidavit mm-hmm. um, for a uh, filing for a motion for pretrial detention. And the state can argue. And, of course, they argue the two things. The first thing is, is this person a danger to society? Mm-hmm. And if they are, they can be held without bond. Or they can set an extremely high bond yeah. uh, that's commensurate with whatever. Yeah. And if, if the state can't prove that a person is um, is a danger to society, next thing else, is, are they a, th- a flight risk? Mm-hmm. And and so, like I said, it, it we, the bond system needed to be reformed. Um, a lot of, crazy. A now. lot it's, of people are yeah. complaining that there are a lot of bad crimes being committed by people who are out and, you know, the problem is a lot of local judges, and I don't want to name names, but a lot of local judges are setting uns- what's called an unsecured bond. Yeah. They're going to set you a $10,000 unsecured bond, which you means promise to come you, to court, you, right? don't, you don't have to pay unless you violate. And then yeah. you violate, then we're going to charge you the $10,000, but we've yeah. got to catch you first. Yeah. So, exactly. you, know, well, the, you know, the failure to appear rate in New Mexico has just skyrocketed uh, since they did the bail reform. And so... Uh, I agree with you. It always needed work. You know, the whole bail system needed work. I agree with that a million percent. Um, but I don't think that the bail reform or yeah, this bail reform, it just it doesn't work. I mean, it just there again. I agree. There's people out on unsecured bonds and 10 percent of the court bonds that are still screwing up, still committing crimes, you know, and I, I would like to see some numbers on that because, you know, yeah. with every, you can, everybody can say what they want. I would like to see some numbers. We do have to wrap up yeah. before I wrap up. I know you're famous for when you bartend, um, you have the craziest, craziest Bloody, Bloody Marys. Marys. <laughs> I mean, the Bloody Mary, the drink itself is an afterthought because you've got shrimp and, but pota- you're sort of the creative pizza. son of a bitch. Like, I guess. <laughs> I've seen some of the craziest shit. I also have to tell you before we go, Mike, uh, yeah, as as well as my friend Nathan Sin down mm-hmm. in El Paso, yeah. one of the biggest fans of the McRib. I love it. Yeah, I think the last time we hung out is during McRib we season. Went to lunch I, I went to lunch McRib. at McDonald's. You called me. You said, hey, McRib's. McRib's back. Let's go to lunch. You get a McRib yeah. meal with an extra sandwich, and it's got to be a Dr. Pepper Hell to yeah. drink. Yes, That's yes. good stuff. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, um, I hope you enjoyed uh, my interview with Mike Gamboa talking about all things bail bonds, uh, DJing, and uh, McRibs and yeah, Bloody Marys. That was good stuff. Thank what, you what, for are you, what are your me, hustles right now? So uh, right now, um, I sell commercial residential solar. Um, I'm DJing. Um, I'm, I picked up two. Well, we got most of the contracts for bars here, and then uh, we picked up the Sleta Casino contract to DJ. You selling there. gumball machines? I'm selling gumball machines. Um, I, I have tent rentals. I. I just got a batch of goats, so they're all pregnant. We're gonna have goats for sale, <laughs> brother. I I, I got it. I, I, if you name it, I. Could you got to work harder than an ugly stripper, as the secret would say, right? right? Yes. Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, we have an episode every month here on the Square Peg Podcast. We did do five seasons. We're not doing seasons anymore. But check us out. It's going to be the second Tuesday or Wednesday of every month. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mike Gambo as much as I did. We will see you next time on the Square Peg Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence.